and welcome to Big Ideas, a podcast from Texas State University. I'm your host, Dan Seed, from the School of Journalism and Mass Communication. This month, we're joined by Miranda Waite, the Deputy Director of Spring Lake Education at the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment here at Texas State to discuss a new project at the Meadows Center, along with the importance of outdoor education. Miranda has worked at the Meadows Center since 2006 and has a background in wildlife ecology and informal science education. At the Meadows Center, she helps oversee the operations, programming, and research for the education program, which sees 120,000 visitors per year. Miranda, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I do have to confess that I spent a summer while I was in grad school working at the Meadows Center on the social media presence, and I found it really to be a truly awesome place, a, a whole lot to explore, a bunch of knowledgeable people, really a fun place to be. And for those of our audience that are unfamiliar, the Meadows Center is located at Spring Lake here in San Marcos on the site of the former Ocarina Springs theme park. So now that we've got that background behind us, Miranda, what do you like best about working at the Meadows Center? Well, I've been here since 2006. I've seen a lot of a lot of things. And really the thing that I, I, I love the most about this place is just how sacred and beautiful Spring Lake is. It's the very beginning of the San Marcos River. How many beginnings of rivers have you ever seen? Not very many, I'm sure. Um, we also see over 120,000 people, about 30,000 of those are kids. So we get to get to make a lot of impact with people that come out to Spring Lake. Besides just the, the educational tours, the field trips, there's just so much more that the Meadows Center does as well. We are one of the eight research centers of Texas State University. We have our watershed services that does a lot out in the state of Texas. And so it's just amazing what our department does just for this state of Texas and water. In your whole career, your education, all of this has pointed you toward this job in outdoor education. But what drew you to the outdoors? I suppose this probably began when you were a child, you know, the outdoors and becoming an advocate for outdoor education. Well, I'll correct you on that. I think that this job drew me to me starting here in 2006. I was a student. And from there, I became full-time and created my position, what I'm doing today. But really, it did start as a child. I always wanted to be either a zoologist or an activist or something that was really involving the environment and being outside. I was always outside as a kid. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I started here as an undergrad. And as soon as I started working here, I changed my major and set my path that way. And what was it about the outdoors, I, I guess, you know, thinking back to that time, you know, when you were a kid and, and whatnot, what was it about the outdoors that just fascinated you and continues, I suppose, to fascinate you to this day? I have always been just amazed by just how everything works. Like as a kid, I have pictures of me sitting in a pile of roly polies, letting them crawl all over me. <laughs> I remember being in sixth grade and a little bit more serious note, learning that by the time I was in my 40s, that there would not be enough drinking water for the world. And so all of that combined, my fascination with science, and then also learning that things aren't going to be the same way that they're going to be forever, really drew me to working 
out outside in nature and trying to get other people as interested in nature and in science as I am. And the primary mission of the Meadow Center is research and innovation that ensures clean, abundant water, both here in Texas and beyond. So that touches on what you were just talking about. And it's still a wonderful place to visit. And one of the big draws is the glass bottom boats. I think that they're, you know, synonymous with that area and with Texas State and San Marcos. We took our kids on the boats last summer and they absolutely, honestly, they absolutely loved it. It was just so cool to see the all the wildlife under the water and the kids just getting such a thrill out of it. And the project that I mentioned at the start of the episode is in relation to the glass bottom boats. It's that the, the glass bottom boats now have new docks. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'll kind of push it back a little bit further. Uh, right around the time that I kind of started working here, we started uh, refurbishing all the glass bottom boats. That has been a goal of ours, is to replace all of the holes with a fiberglass hole so they last longer. Previously with the wooden holes, they only had about a 10-year lifespan. And with the fiberglass hole, they can be in the water for way, way longer. And we have done three of those boats. We have two left. There's two left with wooden holes. At the same time that we need to replace those boats with holes, our docks are just falling apart. They're part of like basically when it was Ocarina Springs and we just kind of been putting Band-Aids on them. And with that, if we have these boats that last forever, we need docks that are going to last forever with these boats. And one of the problems is that they do not do well when it floods out here. In 2015, when it flooded out here in October, myself, along with several of our staff members, were out here moving the boats around when the waters were coming in from Sink Creek. And so it's definitely... A scary problem to have to have have to wake up at midnight whenever it starts raining really bad and wonder if the boats were put in flood protocol. Having those boats already kind of undergoing the restoration process, almost kind of getting to the end of that process and kind of at the point where it's, it's a kind of do or die kind of situation with how the, the docks were functioning at the moment. So we were lucky to get help with doing the docks from the university to replace them to be floating. And ideally, um, once we have that floating dock and we have these other boats renovated, um, we can look into getting a handicap accessible boat and add that to our fleet, which would be very exciting. And it's a goal that we are actively working towards. There is a bit of irony, I suppose it's irony, I'm not really sure, but the fact that you guys are so dedicated to the environment and protection of water and protection of the environment, that you were so affected by this catastrophic flood that is catastrophic and seems rare, but we've seen this kind of weird weather and, and all this stuff happening across the state and across the world that it really hits home at a place whose mission is to protect the environment and to fight against changes like this. San Marcos has freak floods. We are in flash flood alley. I have a picture of a glass bottom boat and I believe it's from the, like the 1998, I think. And they were docking it at the headwaters during a flood and it had gotten full of water with how they had, how they had tied it up at the headwaters. So it's not a new problem for San Marcos to have. It's one reason why the Clear Springs apartments are no longer there across from a Strahan Coliseum. 
it is definitely a real, real issue. And I think that's one reason why San Marcos is, or the Meadow Center is at a, we are at the best location it could be. We are on the Edwards Aquifer, which you know, provides over to, uh, water to over 2 million people in this area, but it also goes all the way down to the coast and is a important habitat for um, whooping cranes and their, their diet. So it's all these different things that our area you know, feeds into. Tech, the hill country is a very, very important part of just the ecology of Texas. Just quickly on the exploding docks. So you mentioned the fact that they'll be able to rise with the water in events like this and the, the boats will be more protected. But what, what, what benefits are there for the guests? I would imagine that there's maybe more stability or the, or the docks themselves are easier to access. Yeah, well, I mean, before we replaced them, only, t- only three of the docks were accessible by our, our, our staff and guests just because of safety issues. So we can service more people and we'll have six working docks instead of three. And it goes with the up and down with the, the water level so that it, it just allows for um, it to be a little safer when we do flood or it does, we're in a drought, which currently we're in an extreme drought right now. And these docks, they are easy docks, that's the brand, and they are very modular. And so pieces can be added and taken away and adapted to whatever the new, uh, whatever the operations of the time is. And so that's, that's nice that it's not something that's like drilled into the, the main dock or, you know, just it's easy to change out. Yeah, flexibility. Yeah. For, for, for what you all want to do helps you change things up and, and change the way exhibits or the, the docks themselves and access and whatnot, which helps, I would imagine, with your educational programs as well to be able to, to change things up a little bit. Definitely. I, I mean, I keep going back to like having a wheelchair accessible boat. Um, we can't have a wheelchair accessible boat until we have wheelchair accessible pathways down to the boat dock, which we got a grant with Tex Parks and Wildlife, and we're actually in the process of getting that started that project started the next part of that is a wheelchair accessible dock and you know just that kind of area and so that's kind of like will be our next plan and then the docks themselves a wheelchair accessible dock and then the boat and so we're kind of just working in the pieces as they come to us and that will be an amazing accomplishment at least for me because I've been working on trying to get that that get that handicap accessible boat into our fleet for a while now. And it's something that I have to deal with more frequently than not, trying to either find out a solution for people who can't just walk onto a glass bottom boat. I want everybody to be able to experience it and access it. Yeah, and that's all part of it, right, is that nature is for everybody and that everybody should be able to experience it, learn from it, and have that ease of access. So I commend you guys for going that way and making these changes to the docks, to the boats, in order to allow everybody to experience the wonderful things that you have at the Meadow Center. So in addition to the docks and the boats and and renovating those, you guys also have a litany of educational experiences for people out at Spring Lake. Could you highlight some of those? Because I know that some of them are are really neat, like the the kayaking and the paddle boarding and the moonlight tours and all that kind of stuff. Talk about that stuff a little bit and how the public can get involved and, and what they're going to experience when they're out there. Yeah. So 
It's perfect timing you're asking me that too, because we just finalized our spring semester dates today, and hopefully those will be live tomorrow, maybe, if we're lucky. But uh, we have snorkel tours, stand-up paddleboard tours, kayak tours, and then we just got these crystal kayaks with lights for nighttime tours, which is amazing. We haven't really gotten to um, play around with them yet. I think my first time to go play around with them is next weekend. But it just allows people to experience the lake in, in a different way, more meaningful way almost, in the sense that it is guided. All the tours are guided. But you get to experience the lake so much closer and get a little bit closer, more intimate with it. The historical tours, we started those in, I believe it was 2019. And it's an amazing experience. The tours are very intimate. We don't allow more than like eight people at a time on the water. And you have a couple people that are guiding you to make sure that it's safe for both you and for the lake. We take you around to kind of the hot spots and you get to just be in that water, that water that's 72 degrees year round, water that is very culturally significant to the Native Americans that are from this area. It's home to endangered species, like a lake that no one's actually allowed to, to get into unless you have special permission. And so those tours are really special. We provide all the gear. And then the stand-up paddle boards and the kayak tours, those are around the same time as we do the snorkel tours, which are either early in the morning or after the boat stop running after five. I mean, you get, you're paddling your own boat. You're, you, are, you are your navigator. You do have a guide and kind of follow. It provides an experience for somebody who maybe isn't comfortable snorkeling, swimming, because um, it is strenuous. There's not a lot of current, but there is water flowing out of the springs that is causing that water to go down towards the dam. So there is a little bit of a current that you do have to swim against. And then the, the nighttime tours, um, that's going to be, um, I haven't gotten to experience it yet, but I know it's going to be amazing. Years ago, I've we, we tried this program with our glass bottom kayaks, which we no longer have, but these are 100% clear. Um, they're all acrylic and um, they have light straps on them. and that one's going to be a very, um, really rewarding experience for people to go out on too. We uh, are limiting on how many of these tours that we do offer only because we don't want to put too much impact on the lake. I don't want to put tours with lights on the water every single day just because it might like disrupt the flora and the fauna that are out there. But we have, we do have those tours on our calendar. I feel like they're going to book up pretty quickly, but yeah, we're really excited about these tours. It's just a different way of getting on the lake. It provides people something different besides just the glass bottom boat tours. So yeah, we're really excited about those. And it is interesting that you talk about having to strike that balance, right? Between the effects on the lake, but also educating people and bringing them in. What challenges are there for you, considering that your job is the outdoor education to strike that balance between protecting the environment, but bringing in as many people as possible to experience this awesome place of nature and history? You know, you, you mentioned the Native American tribes and the beginning of, of, of culture and civilization in this area here happening at Spring Lake. How do you strike that balance? Um, it's definitely the quantity over quality kind of issue. We are regulated by the Spring Lake Habitat Conservation Plan. <laughs> we are regulated on the number of kayak tours that we can do a day, number of people that can be on kayaks in the water at a time also. Same with snorkel tours. 
And same with, there's also, we have a diving program, a volunteer diving program. So we are limited in what we can do already. But even with that, those limitations each day, there's still like, there still needs to be a day of rest for the river, for the lake. Oversaturation it just makes it just, I mean, we kind of basically go off of what feels good and still being in within those numbers. And it's also capacity of what our staff can do as well. We are, I mean, we are busy with field trips. We do starting in about a month, starting at about the end of mid-February. Um, we are going to have about 100 to 300 kids here every single day during the week on field trips. But I mean, we only, we only see what we can actually handle and that everybody still has a good time. So for you, when, when say these field trips, the, these kids come out, what is that like for you when you talk to them and you're able to show them what you all have going on there and you see their faces and the excitement? What does that do for you in, in terms of your passion and the joy that you have for the outdoors and environment? My favorite story of like when I first, one of my first field trips I ever led out here, I took a bunch of inner city Austin girls out to the wetlands boardwalk and I'm a bird nerd. And so I like, I like seeing the different birds out there and I like pointed at a bird and I was like, oh, that's a Phoebe. You know, it's a Phoebe because she goes Phoebe. And, <laughs> and then I, and I said it again and that Phoebe like jumped closer and without me even like like telling the girls to do it, they all behind me in unison were like, baby. And she got a little closer and it was so magical that these girls like saw, like took, like made that connection of birds, like the bird understanding us, like we're basically talking in bird language. It was awesome. And it was cool to see girls who probably have never seen this bird because she's around wetlands areas. She's in a little bit more wet, wet areas. Probably never even took the time to actually look at that bird and figure out what their name was. And uh, and they start bird calling with me. <laughs> it was pretty magical. And that was definitely one of my most rewarding moments with groups. And one of the reasons why, you know, I realized how important what we do here, um, what we do here is it's, it's pretty magical. And we're joined by Miranda Waite from the Meadow Center for Water and the Environment here at Texas State discussing all the activities that happen there, the educational programs that happen at the Meadow Center. What do you hope at the end of the day that when these groups come in, whether it's a field trip or these limited kayaking, snorkeling groups, when they come in, what do you hope they get out of this in terms of not only their experience, but what they're able to take away and tell other people about what they've seen in, in the environment itself? Well, the biggest thing is I hope they are happy with their experience here, that it was a positive experience, not a negative one. But if they have a positive experience out in nature, I hope one thing that they, they get out of it is, you know, they go home and they do something good for the environment because they've learned that that's important, whether it's like conserving your water or telling somebody that they need to be like, or like being good stewards for their environment, walking around, picking up trash with children. It's really important that what we do with children is because they're who are going to make a difference in our world, adults kind of our, our brains kind of get hard and it's hard to kind of be open to new ideas. But kids, kids have that, it's, there's that ability to kind of make a change with them. They still haven't decided on what they want to do with their, with their lives, what kind of careers they want to go into. And so for kids, I want them to be interested in science. I want them to be open to the idea of going into a STEM 
field or career. And with adults, I want them to just be open. Like this is a fun, this is fun. Being outside is fun. It's not full of bugs. It's not gross. It's interesting. Um, You're going to see cool things and we need to protect this type of stuff if we want to keep it in perpetuities. And that's the beauty, I think, right, of, as we call that informal education versus the, the formal education in the classroom is that you get to experience these things. You can, you can see with your own eyes. You can, you can, in some cases, feel with your own hands that that makes it so much more alive than just hearing it from a textbook or in a teacher and people on TV talking about what we have to do and what we should do and what's going on in the environment, right? It's, I mean, it's known for kids, for, I mean, children, that if they're only in the classroom, they're not going to like have that, that bonds with science or with nature. It's, you know, the hands-on stuff, it's getting outside, it's allowing for some time to be outside and doing different kinds of activities. That's why field trips are really important for schools, which is becoming harder and harder for um, school districts to afford as well. Busing isn't quite as available or Title I schools, they just don't have the funding. It's definitely something that we try like really hard to help schools if they can't really afford it, provide outreach opportunities where we just kind of go to them instead, just kind of trying to reach as many as we can, just any like any way that we can. And so if people are interested in taking a tour or signing up for one of these events or reaching out about a field trip possibility for their school or a class what's the best way for people to do that how can they how can they best reach the meadow center probably going to our website explorespringlake.org uh, is a quick and easy um, website link that we have and we have an educational tours link and you just go there you can book a field trip or we're open seven days a week 10 to 5 with the glass bottom boat tours and then we also have lots of free programming coming up that families can come. We have family fun days one Saturday a month, um, which is just hands-on activities for parents to bring their kids. And then we have our Earth Day Festival, April 22nd, 10 to 3, that we are hosting. And so there's ways to come out either for free or you you can come take a, a boat tour as well. Plenty of wonderful educational opportunities at the Meadow Center for Water and the Environment. And as I said, We took our kids down this summer and they absolutely loved it. They're four and six and just thought it was the coolest thing to be able to look down in the water and see the wildlife in the water and go on the the boardwalk and be able to see the birds and and whatnot. It's just a, it's a fun thing to see children's eyes light up when they see nature right in front of them. So personally, I would encourage people to to bring their kids down just to experience Mm -hmm. it. It's an easy trip and it's an easy day and a fun day for the kids. So Miranda Waite, thank you so much for joining us this episode of Big Ideas. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for downloading our episode. We'll be back next month with a new guest and a new topic. And until then, stay well and stay informed. Big Ideas TXST is a presentation of Texas State University. Subscribe to experience more innovative, thought-provoking content. If you like what you hear, consider leaving us a starred review, five if possible. The views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and do not necessarily represent those of the university. Big Ideas is hosted by Daniel Seed, produced by Jamie Bloschke. Strategic consultant is Kelly Raz.